We are back with part three, Mr. Ralph Murphy and his book, which is Murphy's Laws of Songwriting. It's an incredible book. We'll probably have a link to it below if you want to purchase it. And most of the people that I work with, most of the people that I speak to um, will purchase this book, will find it useful and something I always encourage to read once or twice in your life, if not every year. So it's something you can go back to. I think it's brilliant because it is practical. It's chopped up into really digestible, as I said, applicable advice on songwriting. So this is part three. If you haven't heard parts one and two, I simply recommend you do that. This is also possible to take just this episode in its own context because Ralph is at this point, which is his classic wit. This is even more craft. The book started with kind of philosophies and introductions, then it talks about craft, then more craft. This is even more craft. So this is the kind of third stage. And some of these things might feel like they're a little bit in the weeds if you've just joined us. This is your first ever episode of I Wish I Knew That About Songwriting. Welcome, first of all. It might well be a very good one to come into because it's all about being nerdy, all about the specifics. You can get kind of a taste of how we think about things um, on the show and particularly how we talk to each other in the community on the Discord. If you want to join the Discord, just let us know. But this is Ralph Murphy talking about the mighty pronoun. And I think this is something incredibly important in songs and very often in the modern age when we're talking about texting, emails, even watching, you know, series or we're always on Zoom calls. It's very obvious that it's me and you. We are having this conversation. This is between us because it's on my phone, your phone, my screen, your screen. Okay, and I think Ralph makes this great distinction in the modern age because it's almost implied. Whereas when you're writing songs, you want it to be something that you're deliberately doing. You're deliberately using me, you, us, that first person base. As the way he puts it is to build rapport in a positive way. In that same way that we encourage lyrical deep diving, in that same way that we encourage sensory kind of depth. You know, how do we engage people talking about the senses? Because they're just naturally personable. This is what he's talking about. So if you're going to have most of your song, if not all your song, I definitely recommend when you're writing these songs, if you're starting out, just remain in me, you and us, that first person basis. Makes a good point though. If you want to introduce someone else into your story later, particularly a bridge. Again, if you've been listening to this show already, particularly this kind of series on Ralph Murphy, that will make sense why I've mentioned the bridge there, but it's simply that opportunity for a new perspective, a new way of thinking about things. So if you want to add he, she, them, this is probably an option for later in the song. So using that first person to build rapport in a positive way, and then being able to use that third person, he, she, if you want to convey the story of a loser, this is quite interesting. So Molly Ann Lakin, who's come on the show, which is a surreal thing to say, also talks about this. You're writing songs for people to make them look like the winner. Okay, Ralph's talked about this. Other songwriters talk about this. It's something that's not really said these days, but I think it's great. If you're pitching songs to people or more appropriately these days, if you're writing with people in sessions, you want to make them look like the winner. Okay, so that's me, you, us, winning, overcoming, or even if they're slightly sad, you know, it's still with that me, you. But if you're writing a song whereby, as Ralph puts it, the song just, yeah, the song is telling the story of someone who's a loser, quote unquote, someone who's kind of lucked out, got things wrong, be aware this might be best to be presented in the third person, the he, she, because then a singer can come on and, and be the storyteller, be the narrator, right? They're not then the loser. If you're telling a negative story, they're not then the villain. It's a way for someone to go, I'm an artist singing this song from me to you, right? But you're using he and she as the pronouns to be able to remove yourself as a singer. Remove, that artist can remove themselves from the story while still telling it in depth. That's quite an interesting thing to think about. So 
it comes to mind when people kind of either personify things they want to talk about, or very often what people do is they'll write a story about someone else, which is just them. You know, he, she did this, this happened between them, but it's about me. So it can also be an interesting way of kind of alienating yourself a little bit, giving yourself a little bit of distance from the story while still not compromising on those wonderful things like sensory pool, deep diving, free writing, all these things we talk about and just are integral to great lyrics. That's a good distinction. Here's an interesting one as well. When we're talking about pronouns, if you want to convey the idea that someone's gone, right? So her, the difference between me saying you and her, right, is that you might be an instant access thing. I'm talking to you in the room, I'm sending you a message that you're going to receive and you're going to reply to you, right? That's you, me and you. Whereas if it's her, it's kind of the interesting thing where it's me talking about her, it already gives a distance, like she's gone. You know, naturally, like she's gone. Where's your ex-partner? Ah, oh, she's gone. Obviously, there's no other way to say it. Like it's a person that's not in the room, but... It's not like you're saying, oh, I was talking to her recently. Even then, her, you know, instead of using their name or something like that. It's quite an interesting way. So making use of her when, when she's gone, quote unquote, that classic breakup song. It's really quite an interesting way to do it. And it is obvious, right? But I want to go over these things because the pronoun is mighty and it's mighty important. Even if this is kind of a bit in the weeds, this stuff, if you can nail it, it's kind of like themes. When I talk about themes on this show... For example, a nautical theme or a romance theme or a natural theme. You know, these things you don't always notice until you read back through the song, until you really love lyrics enough to see that the artist has taken the time to really weave in between all these lines of lyrics, the themes. The same with pronouns for me. So using her for when she's gone and you if you can't let go. This is a really interesting thing to think about, right? If you're writing about her, you might be writing a song saying, she's gone, her, she's gone. You know, I miss her. We had these great times, her, right? And Ralph said this funny thing that if you're talking about someone that is gone, that you do miss, if you use you, it gives this strange thing that you can't let go. And it might seem counterintuitive, right? This is why it's contextual. Me, you, us. We talked about that. That's the first person between me and you, kind of instantaneous, still continuing a living relationship. Whereas if you kind of use the context of saying she's gone All right and then maybe in the bridge you go you i can't get you out of my head it's suddenly like you maybe you've had a few drinks and you're sitting talking to that person in your own head or you're trying to express those feelings you just can't let go of so that's quite an interesting way of using pronouns again those two examples would be the first person as the base for kind of building rapport and then third person for telling a story and the second example is that idea of like how the third person can be used to distance people from that, telling the story, making the singer look like a winner, even if they're telling a negative story. And here's an interesting context where you use her first. You introduce that song as she's gone, it was like this, and suddenly the bridge is going, you, I miss you. So that's really interesting. And he made a really good point as well. You can often look creepy if someone's gone and you speak really highly of them. It's quite an interesting balance. And I, and again, everything here is contextual. Everything here is debatable. It's not rules of science. I'm just trying to give you guys the different tools and the awareness to think about, okay, how am I using this pronoun? Right? The, the whole of the show could be, could be put down to awareness. It's just how you're using particular tools, pronouns, pronouns being a tool in your songs. This is a good point because I've, I think I've probably switched in a confusing way. That's just the way that I do things. But his next point is try to fight and avoid switching your pronouns in a confusing way without reason. 
Okay, this is the bad example where you read through someone's story, song, lyrics. We have a conversation, particularly I do this, I'm learning French still. It's an ongoing thing. And using her, him, she, me, you, I, they've got to be done in the right way. Otherwise, someone that's even trying to follow you empathetically, much like songwriting, they kind of get lost. Like, wait, what are you talking about? Or if I'm talking to my girlfriend about like who I've been speaking to, what's coming forward, what's coming up, what's the context of that. It can often be easy to lose people. So being aware of the fact that you're using which pronoun you could, if you want to, if you're working on Google Docs or on your notes, just maybe like down on the, on the side, you could write first person and the bridge is like third person. Just so you know that within these sections, this is the pronoun set that you're using and all of its variations. But I think it's a really good point. You don't want to confuse people. You don't want to do it without reason. You don't want to kind of attack their bandwidth as a listener without reason. Also a good like, kind of sub point is like build a flattering character around these pronouns. So again, bearing in mind, how are you using the pronouns and how do they affect the way that someone is hearing your song. So that's kind of more out in the ether. Build a flattering character around these pronouns because you want to kind of flatter the singer, the characters. You want to build a human personality around these. Another interesting point, which is purely practical, if you're writing in the third person as someone who's either pitching ideas and songs to other artists, if you're writing in the third person, suddenly you've doubled your market because third person songs not only allow you to tell stories that are negative, right? Or that make someone look bad. Both sexes can sing them. And I'm aware that gender is something that's not that easy to categorize and has become more interesting and more personalized. But just in, in this respect, as I said, Ralph Murphy's book is a couple of years older. I'm sure he'd be up to the times um, if it was written more recently. But allowing both sexes to sing your songs is just doubling your chance, essentially, for your market. So that's a really good point. Um, and this is one I've added, but you is the gold dust. You know, mixing other pronouns in, it's clever. As we've described, that's how you kind of do different things. But for me, you as the God, I remember I was teaching at a school in the UK and these kids were between the ages of, I would say six and nine. This is a whole, whole room full of them, right? And I was saying, what do you guys think the most expensive, you know, or the most rewarding? I think I use the word expensive to try and garnish and garner that idea of like money i said what's the most expensive word ever used in songwriting what's the highest earning highest earning word used in songwriting these kids had great guesses you know it's like you know love or you know happiness or me i was like oh this is close so i decided to play a trick on these guys I said okay it's not those words it's like what about you so someone put their hand up i pointed at them what about you ask them okay good answer not not it but really good and i go what about you okay and they put their hand up and they go, no, no, no. I was like, nope, not that, but great work. What about you? They go, oh, that's interesting. That's not actually the answer. And slowly you see these kids that are smart. They understand them going, what about you? What about you? What about you? And suddenly the answer is really clear. You is the golden word. You is the highest earning word because it's this thing that gets people's attention, right? It's like, yes, yeah, you in the crowd. I see you up there. I even remember uh, Drake. I went to see Drake at the O2 Arena in the UK. And I remember he was maybe it was part of his stage show. I don't care but because it was really well done, but he would go, oh, I see you right there with the black and white dress up on the side. I see you having a good time. I see you next to her. You know, I see you. That's what songwriting is. I see you. So that gold that Drake's employing, Ralph Murphy's saying to employ, you know, there's all these love songs are me to you, first person. So I think that's a really, really good summary of the 
the might of the pronoun and Ralph's kind of mighty pronouns section. And again, that's craft. This is all part of the craft. This is not necessarily the place to be looking if you're just starting your first songs. As I said, it's very relevant and it's very helpful and it's very practical because it gets you very early thinking about those pronouns, which often do come naturally. So it's one of these things, this is like even more craft because it's a way of manipulating what's natural, what's implicit to serve your purpose. So that was pronouns. The next thing that comes up is, is, I have to say it can be quite dry, but when you get your head around it, it's really interesting. It's the six forms. The six forms, which is talking about structure, song structure. And it was crazy for me to read through this because I was almost going like, oh, I wasn't even fully aware we had these as the standards or the things that I knew to be structures derived from other things which used to be the common. So it's this idea that everything we're doing these days as songwriters is kind of a derivative of the origins of music, but also it's just a sign of the times. Like the fact that I'm talking to you about particular structures or I think when I work with people, when I work with clients or build projects or write my own songs, I tend to default to a certain structure because to me it just makes sense to have a verse. Pre, chorus, post-chorus, verse, second pre, chorus, you know, and then like a break section or a bridge and then a post-chorus and a build and then ad-libs, you know, all these different things that for me, I just think, okay, how do we get the most emotive, most empathetic and engaging song possible, particularly garnered towards vocals and giving them the space to do their work? That's those kind of sections. But these six forms, I want to take you through and give you some hopefully like relatable examples, but equally, this is more for your awareness and understanding how you can best use these. And particularly if you're writing an album or an EP, or if you're trying to build variation as a songwriter as i said a lot of my clients will learn a particular method that's not designed to stay the same it's designed to be flexible so this is this is run of ralph's approach so bear with how he puts it across but i think it's quite interesting he says takes eight lessons to your song to understand and ingest your song and i kind of put a note like is it less than that now maybe because we just have less time to listen to songs And even says himself, you know, think about that mother who's driving home after a really busy day or kind of like might be doing something in the house, uh, most distracted. Is she going to listen to your song? Are you going to give her something she can latch onto with the right pronouns, with all the right craft we talked about before? But is she going to give it eight lessons? I don't think so. Right? But maybe what he's saying is it really takes eight lessons for someone to understand and ingest your songs. I think that's a really good point. You can have your own answers in that respect too. I might drop that one in the Discord and see what people think. Let's talk about the first form. Six forms we're going to get through. The first form, they're all connected. So follow along should work out nicely. But the first form was used in the 30s to the 50s. It's in the 1930s to the 50s. This is cool. It changes tempo from the verse to the chorus. Again, these things become outdated because they're just not viable anymore. People weren't used to that change from the verse to the chorus. And I can think of songs now that have this beautiful life to them because they did change from verse to chorus in those 30s, 50s tunes. Um, and it's even the 40s and 50s. It became even more and more popular to just have this kind of change into the chorus because the story goes that in these old publishing houses, if you think of Carol King, there's this gorgeous musical that I got to see with my granddad years ago. It stuck with me. Um, it's the Carol King musical. If you get a chance to see that, I think it's still going in the UK fucking awesome as a songwriter it's so gritty and inspiring and it's about her life but it's a beautiful song it's a beautiful person incredibly persevering and their perseverance is on another level 
with what she was dealing with as a woman at those times is crazy and, and to, to achieve what she did it's just stunning and i remember her being in these kind of publishing houses and essentially the way it was if we're talking about first form right where you pretty much just have a verse and a chorus they would write ideas endlessly all day and they take this idea the chorus normally right the refrain as they would call it to their publisher have a little meeting go hey what do you think of this and then if the publisher liked it they'd be told to finish it which meant writing a verse normally so it's this idea like yantina yantina hair she's come on twice she's an incredible songwriter you can check her out as well um she talked about always starting with a chorus that's this interesting thing you know this is that first form idea like start with the chorus make sure the f- refrain is good enough and make sure that the refrain is good enough to then finish the song as I talked about before, and then it's revi- then it's writing a verse in contrast to that kind of, you know, thinking like, what would I do if this was my chorus? That's the only exercise we're kind of really interested in here. And there's so many things I could think about, you know, contrasting against the melody, the lyric, the tone, where you've got to in the story at that point, and then re- kind of reverse engineering those things. It's a really interesting thing to do. I would say, try that. You know, this is the, just the first form. It's not even used anymore, just first chorus, right? But it really does make you challenge yourself as a writer to think, okay, if this is my chorus, how do I go back from it? How do I build to it? And it gets you really thinking, as Ralph Murphy would want, how to make the best out of what you have. Second form. This is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, instrumental break, which means exactly as it sounds. I don't want to patronize anyone because you do know music, but I'm just going to explain it in this sense, which just means a break for instruments guitar solo, trumpet, drum break, bass, right? No vocals. That's the interesting thing. So it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, instrumental break, chorus, chorus out. So it's interesting. You hear the chorus four times. Again, this is from a time where, well, interestingly, right, the examples will be contrary to this, but from a time where you just wanted to get your message across again, like make sure the refrain is good enough to finish the song. And you can actually hear this style in bands from Linkin Park, one of the greatest bands ever, to Keith Urban, incredible artist as well. And they they tend to focus on this kind of hook being the center, but often having a riff to accompany this, a riff to kind of take it home. And I've heard some great examples from Stu Neal, whom I work with, Io Kunstler as well, where they take the time to just kind of, oh, Sam Hunt does this stunningly and break up in a small town actually. But, you know, Io, Stu and Sam Hunt, you know, yes, I'll, be, I'll, I'll coach Sam Hunt one day and I'll just cry and give up after that. They make use of that space after having heard the hook a lot to use an instrument to probably get the hook home, to very much kind of use a different means to have the same result. So it's interesting, you have this first chorus, first chorus, instrumental break, chorus, chorus out. So again, Linkin Park, Keith Urban, these are examples you can go and check out. It's kind of a rock and roll form, if you will. And this is interesting as well. It's radio friendly with no third verse. So I think it's an interesting way to put it as though a third verse was common at some point. These days, you almost never hear a third verse. Unless you're Taylor Swift doing the you know, 10-minute tune. But even that was a kind of, it's an Easter egg. It's not done. So it's really interesting that that's kind of the radio-friendly thing to do is to have an instrumental break in your chorus to be repeated four times as opposed to having a third verse for more story. So you can start to see from first to second form how the world has kind of moved more towards the kind of hook, the juice. And again, changing tempo probably doesn't happen from this period onwards, but the first form, first chorus, first chorus, you would have a change in tempo because of probably the recording equipment and how people were used to hearing songs. Third form. This is when you add a bridge and give yourself a new angle and ability to tell the story emotionally with a new perspective. So 
I'm really tempted to talk about bridges here. I'm going to refrain. That's a good joke, by the way. Bridges are that great chance to tell another perspective, bring another perspective to your story, give you a new angle. So the third form is simply when you take that second form and you add a bridge. You can still keep the instrumental break with this particular bridge. So I'd imagine it's first chorus, first chorus, short instrumental break, bridge, chorus, chorus out. So that's how he sees the third form. And again, third form is mainly about the addition of that bridge that's giving you a new angle and ability to tell a story emotionally from a new perspective. I'd love to go into bridges. We have done a number of times. I talk about it a lot when I'm working with people, the importance of a bridge and the kind of ceremony of a bridge in a way and the way it can inform how people listen to your music and it's kind of based more on where you're at at that point how much if your dynamic dynamic ceiling have you used how many lyrics have you used what if you set up in terms of imagery and story like what can you bring to it that's not already there that's how you could think about your bridges but that's more how you write a bridge this is about saying the third form is when you add a bridge so the fourth form again it's it's kind of funny that we get to the fourth form and only now we're we talking about pre-choruses whereas these days pre-choruses are just they're bread and butter. They're everywhere in songwriting sessions. It's very rare. People don't use them when I work with artists and they weren't really a thing. Whereas now they can often be called the lift or the climb, but it adds a pre-chorus to your structure. And the funny thing here, right? I talked about the structure I talk about all the time. This fourth form is saying you add a pre and take out the bridge. Whereas to me, again, I'm used to having a pre and a bridge in the same song. So it's just seeing the evolution of this song and songwriting form as we go forward. And the idea is it launches the listener towards the hook, having this pre-chorus, the kind of melodically leading, which I thought was a gorgeous way to explain it. And again, this is talking more about pre-choruses, but just within this is a good opportunity. It's saying melodically leading them there, kind of if, when, and maybe, that's quickly resolved. So this is beautiful here. When you have a pre-chorus, it's the if, when, maybe, the doubt, as I talk about with people when I work with them. And then also leading them there melodically, which is instantly resolved with the kind of sequence of that next section. That's really cool. And it's often developing each pre-chorus with new information before each chorus. So that's a clever thing to be able to do to kind of craft them each time. This one's funny. Fifth form, I don't know if I'd recommend it unless you're going to be clever, then at that point, it's really not fifth form anymore. But fifth form is verse, verse, bridge, verse, and no chorus. So I think I want to talk about that as rarely as possible, because I really can't think of how that might work these days. Hopefully someone will prove me wrong, and I'm sure there's a bunch of songs that do so. But if fifth form is something you want to do, I would highly recommend this more of a kind of storytelling tool. Because you've got loads of time. You've got three verses here. First time this appears is having three verses in these section in this kind of forms of structure. Three verses and one bridge, which is essentially four chances to say something new. So this is very much a storytelling thing. This could be like a, the Johnny Cash, the murder ballad thing, and whereby you have verse, verse, bridge, verse. You know, and the bridge might be a dynamic change of how you put the song together, production arrangement-wise, but also chords, delivery, vocal, all these things. So it's quite an interesting form. I wouldn't write it off, but fifth form is probably not for your kind of playlisting, for your radio, for your attention-grabbing music. It's very much more cathartic, which I would say is probably more rewarding than any of those things. So if you want to use fifth form, do it and send it in. We'd love to hear it on Emily's help desk. And I think this idea that melody and lyrics go together people do know the words and often rap used samples to make the most of the kind of love of melody. This is what was interesting because you could probably think with fifth form, right? I've just 
kind of cancelled it essentially and said you don't use it but no this is the idea is that people started to, to develop fifth form i believe around the kind of 80s 90s with hip-hop because rap, rap doesn't really use singing that's the idea at least rappers are not singers okay obviously rap uses so much singing and hooks we talk about that a lot on this show but this fifth form comes about whereby i think people use each verse and the bridge section to, to tell something of a story you know rap kind of narrative based ideas of people's lives what they're dealing with, what they're thinking about what's important to them and then i then the idea that i think as i as i kind of alluded to with no chorus people tend to find it hard to connect to it lyrics are incredibly important they're what keep people there that's why we love rappers that's why we put them where we do in society but they're never sung to us so people realize that okay we need a sample here even if you look at like hip hop, not hip hop these days, but like hip hop, KRS-One, like back in the day, breakbeat samples and samples of like old records, they just knock them up against rap verses. That was the start. It's like, we want to tell stories. So really there isn't that much of a chorus. There's no chorus in fifth form, right? But you could argue that with rap songs, you do have a chorus. Of course you do. There's so many in hip hop, but like hip hop is slightly different. So go listen to a KRS-One tune, like even like sound of the police there's hooks there's samples there's inserts that make the make the most of our love of melody of a spe- as a species but you could argue that there's so many songs out there that do have again i'm proving myself wrong here but um there's so many songs that probably go verse verse bridge verse but bear in mind this is probably often rap and then people offset that with the use of samples and samples is just copied music um, loyal Kana's last record has incredible use of samples if you want to hear something um, in the process. We've talked about Lowell Khan a little bit on the show before. Sixth form. Not where you go to school in the UK. The sixth form of the six forms is called rondo. So this is the way it goes. Chorus, verse, chorus, break, bridge, chorus. So it's a chance for kind of solo musicians. This kind of comes up more so as with the word rondo is associated with kind with jazz music if you will instrumental music live music because if you think about it you've got a chorus straight in with the hook the idea that could be melodic kind of instrumental chorus then the verse with a bit of story then back to that chorus already within three sections you've had two of them as your chorus a break could be a time of any length this is why I think it allows for soloists to extend, for bands to play live. Is that that break section could be of any length. It can be building things up. I could think of examples like Slipknot doing the jump the F up section, which is world famous now. And actually, it's so famous that it's kind of derived and stolen enough that you might even realize that it's them, which is the beauty of good ideas. And then you have that bridge after the break and then a chorus. So you've got three choruses, a break section, which is whatever you want, solos. The bridge is that kind of, probably the only time you could argue that's really bringing that new perspective. But again, it could be solo-wise. There's one verse. If you notice that with the sixth form, it's chorus, it's chorus, verse, chorus, break, bridge, chorus. So it's all straight to the point. And I think that's a really strange one to end on. That's fifth form and sixth form. They're very much not, what people do these days there are examples everywhere right but i wanted to give you those ideas so there's the six forms we've talked about you pick up his book if you want to see it for yourselves but there's just a lot of ideas to consider and some kind of history of music if you will for that um to see how music has developed to see why music has developed more importantly you could probably 
put a time scale to each of these when radio was kind of more more and more famous or like live music and what you might notice is actually that the structure that i recommend which is some form of intro with a chorus hook for those of you who do sessions with me you know this verse pre chorus verse pre chorus bridge chorus then a section at the end for kind of ad-libs and you could also add at the end of those choruses a post-chorus or break section so what i've done is kind of sit is pretty much sit third form which is where you add the bridge to a verse chorus first chorus break section so i'm adding that bridge instead of an instrumental break and then i'm adding a pre-chorus as well and then i'm making use of things like lyrical short-term memory to add post-choruses and all of these different tools that we talk about in the show but things that i kind of recommend is definitely a mixture of these that's why the six forms is something to not really need to look at that often but just be aware of how and why each of these sections were used so you can make the most make the most of those sections in the best way when you're coming to write your songs this is all about awareness this episode is it's very kind of craft based theme based if you will but i think it's really important to get your head around these six forms amazing so some gems and some recaps before we go into the 12 landmines, which I think is such a cool way to end this kind of three-part series on Ralph Murphy's books. And Ralph Murphy, this is not the last you'll hear of him. He's brilliant, so I'll probably be talking about him a lot more. But in terms of gems and recap, I think the song is a script. I think that's a great way to put it, is the song is a script. Think of it like a film script. At times, it can start dry. And if you work with me, you'll notice that we do the storyboarding aspect, which is borrowed from film and TV, whereby we put, even if it's really simple and dry, we write out the story and how we want it to progress and where. It starts to do this thing of just knitting everything together. And you can add the drama and the beauty, the lyrical deep diving, the sense pool, the melodic contrasting, all these great things that we do. But at the base, it's a story that we know holds up taking care of the pronouns it's looking at the form and it's writing with the space we have available so that's a really good thing to think about creating and fulfilling expectations and surprising people like that's that's too much to talk about in this episode but create and fill expectations create and fulfill expectations sorry and surprise people right particularly ralph murphy he's heard so many songs in his life because of how how well he wrote and where it took him in life and he spoke to people so he was looking for surprises he was looking for expectations to be created so setting up a great story paying it off and surprising people so that's a pretty golden sentence from him and it's a pretty golden reminder to bear in mind is that you create things you fulfill that expectation you surprise people subvert that's what we talk about here on this show singability range syllables and phrasing Again, these are such re- such massive fundamentals of this podcast, of what I do with people. Singability is huge. There's so much in there. Range is, again, is a lot, actually, when you think about it. It's a very simple thing to say. Syllables is endless. So important. And phrasing is an interesting one. We don't often talk a lot about phrasing, but it's more like how I think about syllables and how each line moves towards the next. And phrasing could also be kind of argued that it's talking about hooks, because, you know, a beautiful phrase is, is reasonably well-crafted and, sorry, reasonably short and well-crafted so you can remember it. That's also phrasing. This is interesting. If you're titling songs, you want to start with, for example, a title that is I Run To You. If that's the title of your song, I Run To You, that's quite intriguing, okay? It says, so how are you going to start that song? You list all the things that you run from. I think that's cool. Like, whenever you've got an idea a theme established that's quite interesting 
I run to you. It's like, okay, cool. I want to know more. Start with the magnetic opposite. That's just extremes. You know, for me, it's kind of how do you set up extremes? How do you get people interested in what you're doing? There's a really good point from him. I run to you. First of all, list what you run from and then bring them back to I run to you. That's a really cool one. This is kind of gems from throughout. That's why I, I can't sit too long on each of them because they are absolute mammoths. This is a really cool one, just to finish this recap gem section. Rewrite to suit the singer in the studio when recording demos. These are all a bit left field. Like I said, if this is new to the podcast for you, this is very much kind of advanced craft, like extra things to think about, depth and context. But if you're in a studio and a singer says, oh, this really isn't hitting my voice properly. This isn't quite how I want to say it. I don't know if this is going to come across well live. Despite everything you know here, this is the beauty of Ralph Murphy's like, here are all the rules, essentially, here are all the things to bear in mind. But if it comes to it and there's someone trying to cut your song, do you and them a favor by making it better. Just do that. Doesn't matter if it's against the rules I talked about in the show. You know, I'm aware of that or against the rules that Ralph set out himself. He's saying, if this is going to make the song better for the singer, you make sure that you do the best you can to accommodate them, which I, I love that. It's so holistic and it's so practical and it's so refreshing to hear that from professionals you know he's had things he's had songs go through he's worked so much with great writers and being in contact with artists a lot you realize it's so important how they feel about the song if you want to be right or you want a song to come out have a think about that so it's really really cool one so to conclude this series on ralph murphy which is a touch sad right we've covered a lot with ralph but you're not going to hear the end of it he's everywhere he's kind of knitted into so much of what i do because it's just it's just my style. It's what, what resonated with me and, and is resonating with you guys. So appreciate that. This is the 12 landmines you need to watch out for as songwriters. And there's, oh, there's so much I could talk about for each of them, but I have to keep it short. Maybe I'll go into the 12 landmines extended edition. All of you guys get excited. Just going to mention them now. And then I'm going to mention a few things about the discord and what you can do to get more involved with your writing and us. So 12 landmines too much or too little melody i want to talk about that for hours number two words that don't fit or are inaccessible again very practical very useful three contrived rhymes again i know you guys are smart enough to have examples but it just is so important that you don't bring up the kind of tropes something boring like if you can use cliche right it's kind of like imagining that you turn up at work and there's a reserved parking space for cliche and there is a parking space for cliche make sure you use it you don't want to waste that space right but as soon as it's taken up how can we do something more interesting we don't want them lining up one after the other and becoming contrived but cliche conversion you know and things like we talk things like that that we that we talk about how you use on the show that can be a great way to avoid contrived rhymes but anyway i can't go into everything four changing rhyme schemes from verse to verse interesting one a touch specific from Ralph here, but I think is a good way of trying to characterize each of your sections. To give continuity to the listener. Five, an unexplained item. The irony, if I just leave it at that, I think I'm going to. Number six, changing pronouns. We've talked about this slightly. No issue with changing pronouns, but he says you've got to watch out. This is a landmine because it can be very confusing if you do it for no reason. That's what I think he means here. Number seven, too many ideas. 
We all do this. I see it everywhere, particularly when we're looking at free writing with new clients or free writing when people are putting together records or projects. They've often got so many damn good ideas that they forget that you can put them in a in a little folder for later. So I always have a project folder with my clients where we have like song seeds and song starters, whereby we just kind of touch up against something brilliant, but it won't quite work in this song. So when people kind of glue too much to, together, it doesn't work that well. You want to have a really clear, as again, create and fulfill expectations, surprise people. You don't want to lead them too far. So if you've got great ideas, put them in a project folder, put them in that kind of song starter, song seeds category. Number eight, not fulfilling the expectation. There are so many reasons and so many jokes I can think of, but I'll leave it at that. Make sure if you're setting something up, you're paying it off, okay? Number nine, mixing forms. The six forms we talked about today, I don't know if I fully agree with this number nine because my whole career has been kind of predicated on the fact that I've mixed all of the forms together. So I'll leave that with you, mixing forms. I think maybe what he means is don't do things that are counterintuitive. If you already have a bunch of verses, do you need a bridge? if you already have, if you only have one verse, is that the right way to go about selling a pop song? It might be great live, but is it the right thing? So it's horses for courses in that one. Number 10, not changing rhyme scheme for the chorus. Again, this is not something that I'm always super hot on with clients, but it's a great point. Can you change your rhyme scheme for your chorus? And, and he's kind of putting two points together here, which is like have a rhyme scheme for your verses and for your choruses. That might be a simple way to put that. And a cool way to to, to bring the bridge out is to change that rhyme scheme again if it's not too heavy which is cool repetitive words repetitive words repetitive words repetitive words is number 11 number 12 failing to satisfy the listener this to me is just worth finishing on because number eight is not fulfilling an expectation number 12 is failing to satisfy the listener these are different because not fulfilling an expectation is something that you've tried to set up and not done a good job of doing so. So number eight can be addressed by free writing, storyboarding, being conscious as a songwriter that we all talk about on this show. Number 12 is failing to satisfy the listener. This to me is the idea of the kind of tightrope analogy, whereby when someone listens to your music as an artist, you are asking them to step onto your tightrope. You're asking them to take the time out of their day and take a risk and step onto your tightrope and you lead them down that tightrope with your craft, your story, your songwriting, your vocals, kind of like leaving breadcrumbs or points hanging from the ceiling, kind of like Squid Game. And, and the idea is that if someone's taking the risk to listen to your music, you want to make sure they're well rewarded and they're satisfied. And the way that you do that is great melodies, contrast, great lyrics, all of the nerdy stuff we talk about in Ralph Murphy's books in these last two episodes this being the third um as i said i can talk about landmines all day there's all the tools we've talked about every single session i've done all of these approaches to songwriting every song i've written every live show that i've played are all to satisfy the listener of course there are kind of double-edged swords whereby that helps me helps them and helps them and helps me right that's the catharsis of music and the shared experience as human beings but if you've taken the time to write a song and someone's taken the time to listen to it the least you can do, Ralph was saying, is make sure that you satisfy the listener and do your best. And it comes back to that gorgeous thing of melody is what brings people in and lyrics is what keeps them for life. Ralph Murphy, part three. Thank you very much. And as a finishing note, in terms of community, I think Discord has been beautiful just to see people joining to see people meeting one another and just seeing those kind of initial sparks of relationships happen and 
best of all, having questions to kind of submit. And there's a bunch of questions to get through still. And I will be doing that very soon. If you want to be involved in the Discord, you send me a message on Instagram or you email us. I wish you knew that pod at gmail.com or I wish you knew that pod at on Instagram, respectively. And we're also in September, late September, we're going to be doing a group call with all of you beautiful people. We had one, we're trying to set one up, but it's just getting everyone lined up. We thought, let's wait until September. And now everyone's kind of going to be putting their availabilities in. So if you want to be part of that, if you want to meet the people that are going to be your new songwriting family and join us, please do so. Join the Discord. And of course, if you want to submit songs for Emily's help desk and I want to send questions to me, do so. If you want to book a call with me, you can. 60 minutes completely for free. Bring as many questions, as many projects, as many stories, as many songs as you can. But thank you from all of us. I said, if you want to be in touch through the Instagram, my personal, for me, for coaching, and if the Instagram's like sending in songs, joining the Discord, send that into I wish I knew that pod at gmail.com or on Instagram. Have a freaking awesome day and I'll speak at you very soon. Rest in peace, Ralph Murphy. You're a freaking awesome human being.